Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Science, the show that breaks down the science of television and movies with a comedian and a scientist. Today we're discussing The Swim, a documentary about a 51-year-old man attempting to swim across the Pacific Ocean. So I'll ask about plastic pollution, typhoons, and why in the hecko anyone would attempt to swim across the Pacific Ocean. But first, a short word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi everyone, I'm your host Ethan Edinburgh and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today. Our first guest is an LA-based comedian and writer you might know from Sunnyside or his appearances on Conan, Comedy Central, Netflix, and much, much more. I'm thrilled to welcome Joel Kim Booster. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm, I'm so excited to have you, Joel. I'm a huge fan of yours. I loved Unsend, by the way. I oh, have to mention that. Thank you. Wow, deep cut, deep cut. You really are a fan. I'm a huge fan of... Um, and actually, we've performed at a few live shows uh, together in L.A., and you're always super, super sweet. And one time, I have to mention this, at the Virgil, shout out to the Virgil, great venue, uh, I was just getting into my fitness journey, and you answered uh, some questions about your regimen, and you even told me about how you blend chicken and drink it. <laughs> now, I still have not tried this. Uh, I've done some severe things in my journey, but I haven't blended chicken, so I I have to ask if you're still doing that. I am. I'm still blending chicken to this day. I did it just like a couple days ago. I did it like on like Monday or Sunday or Monday, in fact. It's so efficient, I find. And efficiency is the name of the game when it comes to my diet. I'm just like, I'm not a good cook. I don't I don't have the time. I just want to get just it get done it and eat the food that I need to eat. And like, that's just the quickest way to do it. You can eat a whole chicken breast in like less than are a minute. Okay, so obviously this stems so many other questions for me. I mean, are you also including spices in this blend? Are there rose, fresh rosemary? How do you blend it? Not really. Like sometimes I'll order chicken from a restaurant and blend that. And that tastes a little bit more pleasant because it tastes like soup. <laughs> right. right. Um, but if I'm cooking the chicken myself, it's usually like... I'm microwaving a chicken breast for six minutes and then throwing wow, it Wow, truly <laughs> the one. king of efficiency. And since yeah. we're talking about the swim, I got to ask if you swim. No, this was, I was going to bring this up. I do not know how to swim. Wow. Um, so this movie was very alienating to me. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not relate to this man's journey um, even a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's wild is I grew up, uh, or not, I didn't grow up. I was born on Jeju Island in South Korea, which is known for the Hanyeo there, which are the sea women, which are um, the, basically um, free divers that oh. dive without equipment for minutes at a time for pearls and whatnot. Um, and so I grew up on, or I was born on an island known for iconic swimmers and I can I can doggy paddle I I mean like swimming is like slightly intuitive now you know you throw me mm-hmm. in the water but I, I I I would not trust myself in the Pacific not the whole okay. thing <laughs> yeah definitely not the whole thing and I love how you are sitting in the same uh, boat no, no pun intended as me uh, watching this thing because I am not built for long distance I mean I'm not built for anything but uh certainly not a long distance swim i can swim for a few minutes at a time and i am gassed so this was truly mind-boggling to me um and hopefully to help me understand it help you understand it we have our next guest who is a biogeochemist and oceanographer who is currently doing a postdoctorate on plastic and microfiber degradation she's highly involved with the organization sustainable coastlines hawaii and I learned today she was the first female sergeant in the French Canadian Regiment of the Canadian Army. Welcome oh back God. to the show, Dr. Sarah Jean Royer. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me today. This is super exciting. Yes, Queen. Absolutely. Dr. Royer, thank you for coming back. We spoke uh, at one point in the past. That sounds like some sort of like beginning to some mystical story. But uh, we spoke about the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Uh, And on that episode, I recall you informed me that besides plastic being terrible in all the ways that we already know that it's terrible, it's also like a major unreported source of greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, so is that still the case or has all of your research since been debunked? Oh, it's still, still the case and it's still producing greenhouse gases as we speak, unfortunately. So that's the truth. Plastic is currently out there and you have UV light shining on it and it's producing and emitting all these different types of gases. And I guess methane is one of them and CO2 and ethylene. So all these bad guys... Uh, are currently being emitted from any types of plastic, pretty much, uh, that is out there. So we're pretty fucked, huh? Looks like it. <laughs> Looks like it. Okay. I'll talk to you guys next time. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Um, this has been great. So because we're talking about the swim, I mean, I was told, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I am somewhat confused about this, that you were actually on the boat, on one of these boats in the swim, but I didn't see you in the documentary. So did you do something that was like outrageously offensive and they cut you out of the film? I know that happens to actors. Yeah, I was swimming next to Ben, but they didn't want to shoot me. No, no, that, that, I was not on the boat. I was the science advisor and putting together like the scientific protocol for collecting plastic during the swim and the vortex swim so um i was in there sadly if you were on that boat and they cut you out i was going to at least write a letter (laughs) thank you that would have yeah no problem i'm here for you i'm here to back you up okay so so you were the science advisor on the swim i i assume that means that a lot of preparation went into uh the the movie or or i guess the event the the actual swimming so how what was that preparation like yeah, so I guess for the science part, we just wanted to take advantage of, of the longest swim at that time in the swim. 
So Ben Ben tells us, okay, I'm gonna swim from Japan to California. So we were we were like, wow, this is amazing. We have to take advantage of this because as as much as I mean, Ben swims fast. Don't get me wrong, but compared to the speed of a boat out there. Uh, it's much slower and hence for me it was like wow we can get so much data out of this swim so let's try to bring together like a couple of scientists and have all these protocols ready so they can sample for plastic uh, while Ben swims and then uh, the crew can can watch out there the amount of trash and they see while navigating so we had all these small protocols and the crew could do while they were following Ben swimming. So that, that was an amazing like opportunity for, for all of the scientists involved in the project. That's my big question about the movie and the whole idea of the movie is because uh, it did feel like, okay, this guy wants to swim and then there's also this science component, but it felt a little disconnected. Like, couldn't you just do a slow boat, a slow boat ride? Like, didn't, did you, do you need a 51-year-old a man swimming slowly alongside the boat, too? Like, couldn't you do the same thing with just a little, with, and sl- slightly safer and certainly less physically taxing on one person with just one yeah, slow boat Yeah, piggybacking on that, it, it certainly seems like it complicated the process of, uh, of traveling. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, I mean, we just took advantage of the swim to be able to sample because I don't think any scientists will go out there for six, nine months and go very slowly in the water to sample. I, I think nowadays we are so busy and this kind of time, very few people have it. And since it was a long, like long objective than Ben had in his life to swim across the Pacific, then we were like, may, may, might as well make this efficient and add a little science to it since a day on the boat can be really long when you're looking at a guy swimming. Who was paying for all of this? That's what I want to know. Who was paying for all of these people on the boat? Who was bankrolling this way? But I think most people on the boat, they were not even being paid. It was just an experience for them. I know. I know. Yeah, that's dedication. We had a wonderful crew all working with the same objective of being sure that Ben is safe and following him during during the, the expedition and most of them were not being paid maybe all of them that is you like big ask. jim jones energy but in the water to me that is yep. like <laughs> i can't believe i can't believe those people just did it for love of the game love of, of like one man's game of of swimming yep. that is crazy to me well, and hopefully one planet's game of right. uh, trying to understand, yeah, plastic solution. I, I was uh, thinking uh, similar terms as far as there was a there was a scene where they had Wi-Fi and they were getting emails. Or, and I was just thinking like, they're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and I can't watch one episode of Pretty Little Liars without losing <laughs> signal. Then again, they had stuff breaking down. I mean, that was part of the, you know, uh, uh, tragedy of of the documentary. I mean, I don't say tragedy like everybody died. Just in case you haven't seen it, everybody is totally fine. But, you know, there were false starts. They had to, the, there was a storm coming. They had engine failure. What, was that like a huge setback for you guys? Like, did that, did that crumble everybody's uh, morale? You mean the fact that uh, nobody, I mean... It was on, on a voluntary basis. So if you wanted to be part of it, you're part of it. And if you don't want, then you're out. And since most people, they were volunteering, then 
it was just out of passion and out of yeah kindness to follow Ben along and you know Paul was there Paul Lacan is the nephew of, of mm -hmm. Ben so he was supporting him all the way through this expedition and I think it took them like four years to bring the project together and um, the first uh, funding that they got I believe is from the seeker and then for the second part of it for the vortex swim it was icebreaker so they got a little help but uh, yeah, Iridium out there is expensive, so they were not that well connected. I don't think they, they were watching Netflix <laughs> while they were navigating, <laughs> so probably not. Damn, I don't know if this struck you guys at all, and, and I'm no, I have no mechanic expertise at all, but <laughs> when they were talking about this engine failure, it just looked like an absolute mess of wires. Yeah. There was just a, like a comical <laughs> amount of just wires all over the place. So I have to ask is like if that normally is what it looks like. I mean, they, they, they had no money or very little money, so they could not get like a very fancy boat and a new boat. So Johan was a wonderful like captain and he knew so much about like sailing and boats and I guess he tried his best and he's been fixing the boat for a long time before they left Japan I believe so yeah I guess it's messy down there and I've seen it but, <laughs> and it's impressive. <laughs> but wasn't it the whale expert that fixed the engine? <laughs> yeah I think you're right. <laughs> That's, That's the amazing. after like a week too. They after just sat a out week. there with a week for a week. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't trust that guy. That guy had big narc energy. He was yeah. the one who he like seven times in the movie was like, "I don't think we should be doing this anymore." And I was like, <laughs> "Calm down, you. He's gonna swim, okay? He needs. We're we're, we're already here. He's gonna swim." Storm be damned, let the man swim. Have you ever been at sea, Joel, just for a, a prolonged period of time? Oh yeah, I love to cruise. I love cruises, and I know, Sarah, they're terrible for the, the ocean. I am aware. I, I want them to be abolished, but until they are, I will continue to enjoy them. What do you um, love about the cruise? Um, well, I, I work the cruises, um, mm. and so it's just like a good, it's, it's actually the jobs are terrible, actually. The, the shows are bad. Um, the audiences are awful. Um, but it's Are the they just I like mean. talking to each other and like eating and drinking no, and don't give a crap? No, it's usually just because like, um, I, I work a lot of gay cruises and they're like older gay men who want to see either a drag queen or Kathy Griffin and when I'm not either of those things they get a little upset um, at that point but I meet a lot of cool people on the cruises and I've met a lot of really close friends uh, all over the country on the cruises and it's just like a fun place to get really fucked up so wow. um, I mean there's no sense. better place to get fucked up than on the ocean I have to say and you don't get uh, you know seasick or like that stuff doesn't happen or it no, just comes with the territory. No, 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 not yet, at least. Not oh yet. wow, okay. Yeah. Well, that's great. And sorry for those for those cry. I can't imagine anyone being upset to see you one to one or on a stage. That's in and of itself shocking. You'd be surprised. You'd be really yeah. surprised. Well, actually, I wouldn't. Most people are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about it. Um, okay, so I got to ask about this. At one point, um, somebody mentions that Ben is like getting stung by jellyfish while he's swimming, but they say it like nonchalantly, like a very just colloquial, like, yeah, you know, it's kind of a bummer that he gets stung all the time while he's swimming. And so I've never been stung by a jellyfish. I don't know what that feels like. I wanted to ask you, Sarah, if you have been stung by a jellyfish 
And if it's just a common uh, thing for long distance swimmers that they just have to deal with, I guess. Yeah, it's a good question. I've, oh, I've never been stung myself by a jellyfish, so, uh, but it must not be pleasant. I think it feels like burning on your body. And I guess it depends on the size of the jellyfish. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if he wants to swim and he has to get stung by jellyfish, I guess he's just going to go for it. So I don't know. Yeah, I know there are limits, but yeah, I believe he just... He just went on with it and continued. Wow. I think he gets into this trance. I mean, he gets into another world when he swims, Ben. So yeah, he I goes into his just... mind palace. Yeah. So. Yeah, I have a feeling that this guy's mentality is way different than yours or I, even. <laughs> yeah, yeah. About a lot of things. I kind of got that vibe from him. <laughs> um okay so uh we we have to throw it a commercial real quick but when we come back we're gonna dive into plastics and typhoons like head first so stick around the break is over here we go back to the show about science okay we're back guys and i have to get into this typhoon thing so number one this completely derailed their trip, I think once, possibly twice, or at least like made them reschedule. But are typhoons the same thing as hurricanes, but named differently because of their location, like whiskey? Yeah, the difference is based on the location. So since it's in the North Pacific, it must be a typhoon rather than an hurricane that will be more in North Atlantic, for example. Is that right? Okay. I would say so. Mm. I'm, I'm trusting you. No, don't trust me on this. I'm not an expert on this. That doesn't have anything to do with plastic. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, Okay, so speaking of plastic, one of the focuses is is microplastic. So it's not just big, you know, plastic bags and bottles and stuff that they find. So can you describe to me like the complications or the or the dangers of microplastics? Yeah, so before being microplastic, it's macroplastic. So we, it starts usually big unless you have like pre-production nerdle pellets that are discarded straight into the ocean or coming from container spills. But if we think in terms of macro debris and big debris, <clears throat> this is by itself already like an hazard, let's say for navigation. And then on these big debris, you can have like species from Japan, starting to live on these big pieces and then they travel the North Pacific and then they can end up in Hawaii or in Oregon, for example, with that huge duck with hundreds of invasive species that made their way to to the, the West Coast of the US. So uh, these big debris, they carry a lot of stuff. They are hazard for navigation, but as they travel in the ocean, they start degrading and fragmenting into smaller and smaller pieces due mostly to photodegradation, so to the sunlight that will break down or break up this plastic into like hundreds of pieces of microplastic. So once the microplastic is microplastic, it's small. And the smaller it is, the more available it will be for the food web, meaning then smaller organism will be able to ingest them. So um, uh, uh, the smallest, the, 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 the worse it is for the food web, for sure. And then it's harder to remove it. If you want to clean the ocean or clean the beach, the, the smaller the pieces are, the more time consuming it will be to remove them from the beach. So there are many different negative effects related to plastic and even more so for microplastics. 
I mean, you're telling me that a fish can't have a little bit of plastic as a treat? Just a little <laughs> bit of microplastic, it, it's gonna really, is it, it's really that bad? It won't I just mean, pass the plastic? It might, I mean, imagine yourself, you, you eat a little bit of plastic uh, for breakfast, okay, maybe, maybe you'll be able to digest it or maybe it will go through, but at some point, if you have only plastic to eat and there's more plastic than praise in the ocean, then you'll fill your stomach with all of this plastic and then you won't be hungry anymore. So you'll be like, oh, I'm full, I cannot eat, but then you cannot digest it. So you basically die of starvation. That's, oh. that's sad. Yeah, no, I, I, when you put it that way, I guess it is pretty sad. I mean, this seems like a Rubik's Cube of problems. Like, I don't even know where to begin solving them like you're talking about how tough it would be to do an ocean cleanup because of the microplastics but then i'm also thinking about you know the the complications with us eating seafood for example and if they are you know if, if i'm eating fish and that fish's diet is plastic i'm probably eating plastic right if you eat the stomach of the fish then most likely you'll eat plastic if you don't I believe that part of the plastic that gets degraded inside the stomach of the fish can go through the membrane and end up in the flesh of the of the fish itself. So yeah, you, you might eat some plasticizers and some very small pieces of plastic that manage to go through the membrane to the flesh. But I think at this stage, it's really hard to tell what's the effect of um, plastic on, on seafood and fish, uh, what's the effect of like ingesting, what, what is it, like one, the equivalent of one credit card of plastic every week, that's what we eat. Wow. I mean, that's quite a bit, so um, yeah, for seafood, fish, and I mean, I'm vegetarian, so I don't eat blended chicken or fish, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess if you want to be on the safe side, you might as well not eat meat and nutty seafood and fish and it will it will be better for the environment but if you do then better to eat local good fish so you know you, you you're a little bit more careful about where you get your fish is there any chance that the fish will mutate and become cool or have superpowers or something like that with ingesting all of this plastic mm. like might change into super fish oh, in some way yes. or yes. will they just die wow will they adapt I that would be wonderful. How many generations? I don't know. It will take to get there. Okay, so that's a maybe. That sounded yeah. like an official maybe. Yeah, that actually is better than I expected. Same. I like the idea. I don't think it's going to happen, but I do like the idea. Okay, she had to, had to throw in a don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> awesome. Okay, what about the results, I guess? Like, I mean, you, you know, you said this was kind of a, a, an unprecedented way of studying the plastics uh, pollution in the ocean. So have we, did we learn something new or was the problem just as bad as we thought? Yeah, I believe that, I mean, in terms of new findings, we are still analyzing the data and science takes time. We are trying to understand now if the plastic that is closer to Japan is younger than the plastic, for example, in the North Pacific garbage patch. So we are trying to look at the chemical signature of the plastic. So this is ongoing project. 
Uh, then what we saw it was then in basically every sample uh, then um, the crew uh, took from from uh, during the swim every sample as plastic so that's worrying already then they did visual observation while they were on the ship and they on the boat and they realized that at least every six minutes they would see a floating debris so that that's something to worry about. And then after the swim, they went to the Vortex swim in the North Pacific garbage patch. And this was another level of complexity. So a lot more plastic because they were sailing straight in the patch itself and they were collecting similar data sets. So that's what we are working with now. We are trying to yeah, get good numbers, concentration, the effect of the current, the eddies and um, we are really trying to understand better like the, the physical oceanography parameters linked to plastic and how it moves and yeah, how it behaves once it's in the ocean. So that's what we are looking at at the moment. And from what I understand, which is very close to zero, is our plastic use still increasing? Because, you know, we've it seems like we've known about this, and I live in a liberal bubble, I admit, but it seems like we've been kind of aware environmentally of the dangers of plastic for a while, and yet our plastic usage and waste is still going up. Is that correct? Yeah, you're completely correct. It, this is sad. It's taking time for people to change, for consumers to change their consumption habits, and more, more than anything, it takes so long to have the law and policy makers making better laws and regulations for this. So, and we have to think that the population, the world population is just increasing. So you have more and more people consuming, which makes it like even greater for plastic production, consumption. And then the effect is the increase in plastic discarded in the environment because with more people on earth, if you look at Asia, they have so many problems with plastic waste management. If you have more people in the same size country with the same or similar infrastructure, then it becomes impossible to manage all the waste. So if the law and policymakers are not changing the rules with plastic consumption, especially with single use plastic, then there's no other way out of it. It's just gonna increase the amount in the environment. So you would suggest I don't have children then right now, probably not leaving them much of a planet right now to live yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, yeah, probably. But, you know, I think if we would have better options, uh, maybe, maybe we should have, like, globally, everyone should have no more than one kid or two kids. But, uh, yeah, the population is just increasing. Climate change is getting worse. <laughs> Plastic discarded in the environment is getting worse. So there's not much that we can do if the technology cannot keep up with the changes in population. Uh, then it's hard to it, it's hard to get options and solutions. So how many years do you think we have left? Great question. Give or take. <laughs> I don't know. I can't answer this. Let's all take a guess. I'm gonna say fifty. I was, that's what I was thinking. Okay, 50 is pretty good. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say 51 just to be optimistic. Yeah, 51 <laughs> years of relative normalcy before things go really to shit. Yeah, before we're living in like, um, like water world, essentially. Yeah. Drinking urine. I will give it 100. 
100. Oh. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. good. I'll definitely be dead by then. <laughs> <laughs> and our non-kids won't have to worry about it. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned climate change. And so from, from well, what I'm piecing together here, it sounds like that probably just expedites the problem, right? Like it's because the, the you're saying the sun is kind of like forcing plastic to emit all of this terrible crap. So if it's getting warmer everywhere and we're dumping all this plastic in the ocean, it's kind of like perfect storm, right? Yeah, absolutely. So as temperature increases, then the degradation of the plastic will increase as well, at least the, the rate of degradation. So it will degrade faster. And then if we have more UV, UVB uh, reaching plastic, then it's also going to degrade faster. So it's, it's producing more and more gases. And the other thing is, let's say you have like plastic in your backyard and uh, this plastic, you leave it there and it used to be blue. And then by the end of the summer, if you left it there all summer, then it's becoming like whiter and whiter. So it's probably going to become like light blue because it gets photo bleach. But if you leave the plastic there, even with your one piece of plastic, with time, you start having like cracks and pits and micro fractures in your polymer. And then this is increasing the surface area. For, so for the same, let's say, bottle in your backyard, same weight, same polymer, as plastic degrades, the surface area increases. And this makes the emissions of the greenhouse gases increase at a very high rate. So um, plastic ages and just produce more and more greenhouse gases. And then it, it might fragment. So once it fragments into smaller and smaller pieces, then the surface area will increase exponentially. And the same with the greenhouse gas emissions. So plastic out there is bad and we should do everything we can at least to not use single-use plastic because this is an easy fix. Then we have all mm. other types of durable goods that is a little harder to replace, but single-use plastic, they are the bad guys for sure. I'm never complaining about a, a paper straw ever again. That, yeah. I promise you. <laughs> I joke, but like, is is it is it consumer habits do you think consumer habits do you think me today deciding not to buy water bottles anymore and and buying um a reusable water bottle like that decision do, does that make an impact or does it have to be bigger structural changes in order to make an impact or does it or, or both good yeah i mean we need both and i would say every little changes in habit makes a difference you know it's like uh, it's like anything people started recycling like a lot more over the last what 30 years so i mean we need to to make these small changes in our everyday life for ourselves i mean for our own health for our own good and come on it looks so much cooler to have i don't know an hydro flask in your hand yeah. Very colorful compared to a water bottle. So I think I think this is something for your own, like the way you feel about it. And uh, but of course we need the industry, and the industry sucks. We don't have them with us. They are trying to do a lot of greenwashing these days. And I mean, this is how they make their money. So it's so hard to to get the industry involved in the process. So. We need, we need politicians to, to basically say, that's it, we stop it. It's like when we used to smoke in bars and restaurants, uh, I mean, that, that was something, and people never thought that one day it will stop, but 
if today you have someone in a bar that will lit a cigarette, then I think most people will look at him like, what are you doing? And I think it should be the same with plastic. If you have like a plastic fork and you start eating, I wish people will start looking at you and be like, oh, what a jerk. So I hope we get there. And I hope we, we get there with single-use plastic first. And it's an easy fix. I think it will be the, the easiest way of changing. And then for the durable goods, like for computers and phones and all these other types of plastic, I think if the technology can catch up and find better materials that are more sustainable for the planet, then at, a, at the same price, the, the price needs to be competitive. So I think it will be easier for consumer to change. But nowadays, consumers, they don't have that many options. And a lot of consumers would use convenience rather than just taking the time to take a water bottle at home in the morning. It's not that hard, but it, it's hard for, for people to change their habits. Get with the people, change your habits. You, I think it's on us, Joel, to shame people, like she's yeah. saying, you know, just call them out because most people aren't going to do it. And, and maybe we can make it funny if yeah. we're, if we're in a good mood. You, you eating with that plastic fork is like blowing a cloud of smoke in my face. <laughs> Let's, I'm trying to get to the plastic positive for a second. Like, Besides, obviously, I'm totally with you and we need to cut out our plastic consumption. It seems like across the board, um, are there either f companies that we can get behind that are doing a great job already or or effective uh, uh, ocean cleanup? Because that was a whole when I was watching this documentary, that was what was going through my mind the whole time is just like, how in the world are we going to clean all of this up? Like, I feel like that's going to be a whole undertaking and and some sort of tech genius is going to have to come up with a solution because i have no idea how many years it would take to just do what they were doing in the in the dock of just traveling around on a boat picking up yeah, plastic. where were they where were they putting all the trash that was a small boat and they were picking up a lot of trash right that's true yeah they were picking up as much as they could but they had to leave a few behind like ghost nets and they put trackers on the ghost nets so they could track it and then oh. a boat was sent later on to remove these nets oh that's smart that's cool yeah yeah that's, that. yeah that was work with nikolai maximenko and mary crawley so we were working all together and they got a few buoys and yeah last hmm. last summer uh mary crawley uh with ocean um voyage institute she sent both out there and uh they, they just basically removed the nets from the ocean so that was that was a good that was a good idea and it all worked all well are are there any uh, ocean cleanup efforts that that you know have have come about in the last few years or the last decade that are you know uh, game changers maybe? Yeah, I mean, I, I believe in the ocean cleanup. Uh, I mean, the uh, I mean, they are trying hard to to put the device out there and removing floating plastic from the North Pacific garbage patch. And at the same time, there's still an input of of trash coming from the land through rivers, so with different interceptors out there that are catching basically plastic before it reaches the ocean. It, it gives a little hope, but we should not see this as a solution. You know, it's not like, okay, there's the ocean cleanup and beach cleanup organizations and the interceptors and uh, the manta, all of these devices that are taking care of removing plastic so we can still trash the ocean and the environment. Uh, we, we should 
think about removing it and stop putting it in the environment. But the problem is that as we speak, there's probably still about what one garbage truck of trash, plastic trash discarded into the ocean every minute. Oh uh, so God. that's a lot. This is a lot. This is the, the Jenna Jambeck study from 2015. So maybe it's even more as we see. No. Uh, that's, that's up for 2010. So we have 2021 and I'm pretty sure there's more plastic that is being discarded as we speak. So Ugh. this is sad. And uh, we, we can clean up the, the mess from the past and from the present, but we cannot keep on doing the same thing. Uh, like, <laughs> it, 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 there's no end. <laughs> I mean, we have to stop doing this, stop using plastic, and then clean up our mess that we created since the 1950, and then we, we can have hope. But with the amount of plastic and... Uh, with COVID, I mean, the the amount of plastic that we are consuming, single-use plastic, is, has just been increasing. So all of the efforts that we put uh, over the last, like, 10, 20 years into banning plastic, it, it got a little killed with, with the pandemic. Uh, so yeah. it, it's a hard, it's hard. We need, we need better politicians to make, take that drastic decisions and we need the industry to be with us not against us and not trying to keep on producing and making money out of it but it, it's so difficult to to discuss with the industry can we shoot it into space is that a stupid solution make it <laughs> make it space's problem with all the satellites garbage around the earth yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh, so you're saying that there's garbage in the space, there's garbage in the ocean. Where isn't there garbage, Sarah? Where is a safe space to put the garbage? Such a bummer, Sarah. <laughs> Can't we launch it into the sun? I mean, I feel like the sun is fine to be trashed. Yeah. Is that yeah, crazy? Yeah, burn it, huh? Hmm. Yeah, sun will burn all that stuff. I don't. I just assume. I don't know if that's true. I assume. I mean, if the sun was being like you know put out because of plastic, I would be really shocked. Yeah. And now we have all these private space organizations. I don't know. It doesn't seem that far fetched. Yeah, come on, Elon Musk. Start figuring out how to fix the plastic problem. Stop it with this these freaking tunnels. Yeah, and the car. We don't need more cars, okay? Yeah, we we need plastic on the sun. <laughs> I'm gonna start that petition. I guess what you're saying is to vote. I, you know, for for more proper politicians. Do you think, Joel? Why? What makes politicians so crappy as people? Just in like, why does that job attract people that don't care about the ocean? I think it's, well, it's it's not necessarily that it attracts people that don't care about the ocean. It's the lobbyists and it's capitalism and it is, they're getting money from people that, um, you know, are in these industries that have a vested interest in keeping plastic as the, you know, uh, material of choice. It, they're, they're corrupted. Yeah. Normal, good, solid, down-home people are running for office, getting elected, and then getting a taste of that sweet, sweet dollar. I mean, I, I think that, I think, and, and Sarah sort of said this earlier too, but like, it's it, it feels overwhelming to, to think about trying to vote in people on a state or national level that will take this seriously. But if you really start to pay attention to your local elections, to the people in your city, in your neighborhoods, mm -hmm. literally those are the people who have the power to say, hey, um, restaurants, you can't use plastic cups. You can't use plastic silverware anymore. Like switch to, 
you know, paper goods, like things like that do make a difference. And those happen on a city level and people don't pay attention to their local government elections. And I think that that is where like, you know, the the city, the city council election here in L.A. that happened last year with Nithya Raman, like one of the big things was the styrofoam lobby was like propping up her opponent. And Mm -hmm. that was like a a huge part of uh, their worry is that um, she would win because that is like, you know, there's a styrofoam ban coming to L.A. And like that would that would make a difference. And that is a huge um, sort of step in the right direction for um, the environment. And that's happening on a city level. So I think if people focused more on what's happening locally instead of just. I mean, focus on what's happening nationally. I think, like, don't don't ignore that either. But I do think that we can make s- smaller strides locally if we just pay attention. Man, expertly said. Absolutely agree with you. And that's another good reason to shame people in public. Yeah. Get them to admit if they voted for their local elections or not. I have nothing to add. This was perfectly well said, Joel. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with you and, and, and hope that, that people can come around and stop in their everyday use also um, and, and maybe mention it to your favorite uh, restaurateurs or, you know, at your local pubs and stuff. You know, if they're serving up plastic, then, uh, you know, let them know that they're sort of killing the ocean and that there's other ways. You know, most meal, deliv- most meal delivery service places now, they even have an option to say, like, do not send um, utensils. And yes. if you're ordering in, you got you you got forks. You're not an animal. You got right. forks at home. Just click the, click do like if you do one thing. If if you have one takeaway, from, one single takeaway from this podcast. Well, first of all, it should be that he didn't finish the swim, and I was furious that I watched an entire <laughs> documentary about a man swimming across the Pacific, and he didn't actually swim across the Pacific. But that's besides the point. The one takeaway you should have from this podcast is. Click do not send me plastic utensils utensils with my takeout. Just don't like that's just one little thing you can do. Just one little thing. Great call. I mean, and that's that's also just a great like microcosm example of like those are the kind of things that you can do that take four seconds Mm -hmm. that if you just did that every time, you know, after after a bit, it adds up and you don't need that stuff. You don't need to just throw that out and deal with it when it comes to your door. Just click a button and they won't send you it. That's great. I love that piece of advice. And I'm sorry that you watched this and he didn't complete the swim. I was furious. <laughs> I'm really, I apologize for that. I was behalf. with him. I was with him when he wanted to put everyone in danger um, by continuing on. Um, I was fully on board for it. I was like, yes, do it swim through the tsunami um okay is there is there anything else we're running short on time but but uh dr royer is there anything else you want people to know about or support or or any other changes maybe that we can make also yes say no to single use plastic items and any single use items you know even if i mean some point you get the replacement of plastic for like biodegradable polymers but you know what they are still single use items and I mean, we are smarter than this. It's easy to, to get your own cup and stencils and your your metallic bottle, hydro flask, whatever. I mean, it's not that difficult. I haven't used single use items in so long and I, I don't miss it. Like I just changed my habits and I can live, I can sleep at night. So yeah, please consumers think twice before you use something. So that's probably my take home message. 
Um, yeah, same That's... for textile. You know, I've been studying microfibers and textile in the environment for so long. If we look at the type of clothes that we wear, about 62% of the clothes, they are synthetic. So they are polyester, polypropylene, lycra, nylon. This is all plastic. And when you wash these clothes, all these microfibers that are synthetic are going straight into your waterways and in the ocean. So oh try God. to think smart about <sighs> what you, you wear and forget about fast fashion. We are fooled if we get into that habit of buying clothes every week or two weeks. We don't need that much, you know? It's like, yeah, a swimming costume and that's it. So yeah, be careful about what you wear and the choice you make on an everyday basis. Great. Joel, thanks uh, for, for watching this. And uh, even though it, it upset you and is, if, if, if there's anything else you want to, you know, tell people about, let people know where they can find you, etc. Well, I would let them know that it's still worth watching because Daniel is, um, let's say it, a smoke show. He is. <laughs> I did not expect the psychopath who wanted to swim across the Pacific to be that hot. But he is a hot, hot man. So if you want to watch him, by all means, go ahead. It's worth it. Um, any, anything you want to uh, you know, tell people about or, or um, how people can follow you, They can find to me. All my social media handles are I hate Joel Kim. And um, they can listen to my own podcast, um, Urgent Care. It comes out on Thursdays on Earwolf. Fantastic. Okay. Urgent Care is the podcast. I hate Joel Kim. <laughs> sorry, to, <laughs> sorry to say it, but you know what I mean. And, uh, and yeah, thank you both for, for coming on the show. I, I really appreciate it. And hopefully uh, next time we speak, all of the plastic will be removed from the ocean and we will have solutions uh, in place and our politicians will all be progressives and we can just talk about you know uh, home alone or something <laughs> sounds good all right sounds wonderful thank you so much thank you bye-bye bye-bye bad science is a seeker podcast produced by emily feld and me ethan edinburgh the executive producer is Brett Kushner, and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver, but it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.